listeners, and welcome to Monsters Advocate. Monsters Advocate is a bi-weekly podcast focused around the unsung heroes of myths and legends, the monsters. We'll take a look at some monster-centric myths and legends, some not-so-ancient cryptids, and everything in between, and try to sort out possible origin species, biological impetus for why they do what they do, and why we love to hear about them. Helpful Suggestion This episode is best enjoyed while hiking through the woods, but please don't go alone at night. Never go alone at night into the woods. There's something lurking in the woods. And let's face it, when isn't there? It would be more shocking to me if someone came across a patch of woods that didn't contain a fearsome critter, a devil, or a wolfman. But though they're scary, and they are extremely scary, well, we at least kind of expect them, don't we? I mean, of course, you could argue that no one expects a monster, and that's what makes them scary, but a wolfman is still part wolf. Even if it's in an unexpected combination, a wolf is something you might find in the woods. It belongs there. But creatures don't always stay in one place. Just like humans, monsters are dynamic. They might move. I mean, just look at all the different Sasquatch subspecies across the United States. And if a creature that belongs in one place can move to another, where do we draw the line at what's possible? Where do we say, okay, but there's no way you'd find something like that here? Can we draw that line? Could we even, without a doubt, say something that doesn't even belong on our planet isn't already here? On September 12th, at 7.15pm, about 24 minutes before sunset, three pre-adolescent boys, two brothers, Edward and Fred May, and their friend Tommy Heyer were doing whatever young boys do when a bright object streaked across the sky seemingly coming to rest on the nearby property of the local farmer named G. Bailey Fisher. Now obviously, seeing a bright light cross the sky and come down to Earth would be an exciting event in anyone's life, one you'd want to tell other people about right away. But this was Flatwoods, West Virginia in 1952, before cell phones, so the boys raced to Edward and Fred's house to tell their mother, Mrs. May. This was a little before the time UFO became the go-to word to describe unidentified flying objects, and a famous 1947 sighting of an unknown aircraft had called them flying saucers. So the boys told their mother they had seen a flying saucer crash land in the wooded property nearby. Now, what happens next takes a little bit of stepping outside of our modern perspective to understand, because rather than collect the children inside, call the cops, and pray for sunrise, Mrs. May finds two more children, Neil Nunley and Ronnie Shaver, and a 17-year-old National Guardsman named Eugene Lemon, and his dog. And the mother of two pulls a Miss Frizzle and decides to lead the six boys into the woods to try and find the crashed UFO. Now, I couldn't find why Mrs. May had access to all of these children. Maybe she was babysitting the two younger children, and the 17-year-old was just wandering the town. But I assume the boys returning to the house and rounding up more children probably took at least 24 minutes. So by the time this knockoff Scooby-Doo gang set out into the woods, it was well into sunset. 
the precise time you do not want to be heading into the woods. The group traveled to the Fisher property, and, because it's 1952, Mrs. May does not stop to ask the farmer if they can go onto his property. The 17-year-old guardsman takes the lead, and his dog bounds ahead before the group. They are minutes into making their way to where the boys think they saw the flying saucer crash, when suddenly the dog runs ahead and out of sight, barking at whatever it smelled up ahead. I assume Lemon, like any dog owner whose dog is no longer in sight, began whistling for his dog, but he didn't need to bother. Seconds later, the dog comes crashing back through the bushes with its tail between its legs. Spooked. But, like in any good horror movie, the group still presses on, and after about 402 meters, or .25 miles, the children and the mother make it to the top of the hill. They are met with a large, pulsating ball of fire, which appears 50 feet to their right. At the same time, a burning, foul-smelling mist creeps over the top of the hill, making the eyes and noses of everyone in the group burn. The 17-year-old Eugene sweeps his flashlight around, trying to find a source for the mist or the fire, when his light catches on two small lights in the trees to the left of the ball of fire. He points his beam at the oak tree the lights are coming from. In the sudden light looms something... unexpected. Due to the nature of the encounter, descriptions vary. It is a creature, at least seven feet tall, with a black or green metallic body and a large, glowing, sideways diamond-shaped head. Behind its head rose a cowl in the shape of a spade. An inset into its head were two glowing red eyes. Its body had a lower section that maybe resembled a skirt. Maybe it was molded like draping fabric. Did it have hands? Arms? They were either entirely absent or they were long and claw-like, moving at inhuman speed. The group only got a moment to look at the creature before it hissed, a metallic, shrill sound, and glided toward them. The group makes their only sound decision of the night and flees down the hill, children and parent alike running out of the woods as fast as their legs can carry them. The encounter happens at 402 meters into the woods, and with the average human walking speed being about 5 kilometers an hour, the entire encounter takes less than 10 minutes. The effects, of course, linger long after that. After they made it home safely, Mrs. May finally decided to call the police. She contacted the sheriff, Robert Carr, and the co-owner of the local newspaper, a Mr. A. Lee Stewart. The newspaper owner immediately conducted interviews with Mrs. May and a few of the boys, and he and 17-year-old Lemon returned to the site of the crash later that same night. Because apparently, no one in Flatwoods fears death. As the two made their way back up the hill for the second time that night, Mr. Stewart reported smelling a sickening, metallic odor that prevailed across the land. When they got to the site of the crash, though, there was nothing to be found. The sheriff and his men also searched the area separately, also reporting finding only the smell. To my knowledge, no one alerted the farmer, G. Bailey Fisher, to the possible otherworldly creature loose on his property. 
After the incident was reported by the newspaper, the press came creeping in. But for the boys and the mother, something worse crept in too. Several members of the original group that had seen the Flatwood monster began to experience symptoms. Their noses were constantly irritated. Their throats swelled. For 17-year-old Eugene Lemon, the symptoms manifested as vomiting and convulsions, which lasted throughout the initial night after the encounter, and he had lingering throat trouble for several weeks after the incident. A local doctor that treated the sufferers described the symptoms as similar to those who had been exposed to mustard gas, a biological weapon first used during World War I. So what are we to make of this creature? It is almost completely unique among North American cryptids, in that it is not described as similar to any other living creature. It is described as appearing metallic, inorganic. Further, the creature is in some way connected to a foul-smelling mist that sickened those people who inhaled it. And what are we to make of the red ball of fire? After examining the case 48 years after the event, Joe Nickel of the Paranormal Investigation Group Committee for Skeptical Inquiry, CSI, concluded in 2000 that the bright light in the sky reported by the witnesses on September 12th was most likely a meteor, that the pulsating red light was likely an aircraft navigation or hazard beacon, and that the creature described by the witnesses closely resembled an owl. Owls have also been cited as the cause of the Mothman sightings and the sightings of several other cryptids throughout the world, including England's Owlman. Once the buzz quieted down, the local media suggested the following, that the group had witnessed the impact of a meteor, which resulted in a man-shaped cloud of vapor. Sometime after the incident, Kathy May and her sons claimed that the sighting must have been some kind of covert government aircraft. Now, for those of you who are thinking the stealth planes, keep in mind, this is in 1952. If these explanations leave you unsatisfied, they should. After all, doesn't it seem incredibly convenient that a meteor would scare seven people so badly that they mistook an owl, a creature they had all likely seen before, for a seven-foot-tall monster with a very specific description? And what about the gas? What about the people who weren't involved in the encounter, who also reported smelling it? It should be noted that the symptoms the group experienced can also be displayed by sufferers of hysteria. But if it wasn't the gas that caused the symptoms, the question still remains. What was the gas? And what did the group and the dog see that scared them badly enough to cause hysteria? An owl? This is not the only sighting of a being that matched the description of the Flatwoods monster. After the incident, investigators from the Civil Saucer Investigation, also CSI, traveled to the area to collect accounts from more witnesses who had reported similar encounters. In one report, a mother and her 21-year-old daughter claimed to have encountered a creature with the same appearance and odor a week prior to the September 12th incident. The encounter reportedly affected the daughter so badly that she was confined to Clarksburg Hospital for three weeks. In another report collected, sometimes called the Frametown Monster Incident, we get a possible insight into the metallic appearance of the Flatwood Monster. 
The day after the Flatwoods incident, a couple driving through the mountains of Frametown, West Virginia at dusk came to a sudden stop when their car died on them and refused to start again. The couple, likely frustrated that their dusk plans were not going as hoped, got out of the car to investigate why their car might have stopped when a putrid mist began creeping across the area. The couple began coughing and looking around for the source of the mist when they spotted it. From the waist down, the creature had a metal, pleated casing, similar to the Flatwoods monster. But from the waist up, the creature was reptilian, a green-skinned humanoid with a thin, oblong head and long, thin arms that ended in claws. The couple fled immediately. Many people involved in researching the incident believe that the creature the couple saw that night was the Flatwoods monster, without the upper half of a possible mechanized suit. This is where we leave the Flatwoods monster, because, simply put, I can't even begin to connect it to the local legends. And it doesn't move, look, or act like any animal I'm familiar with, aside from the hissing so we can't firmly tie it back to a biological inspiration. At least not an earthly one. I'm not entirely convinced the Flatwood monster was an extraterrestrial being. But that being said, those seven people and their dog, they saw something. That mother and daughter, that couple, they saw something. So regardless of any explanation anyone outside of these witnesses can come up with, On those nights in 1952, a creature, a strange, unexpected thing, lurked through Flatwoods, and the woods were never the same. That's all this week for the Flatwoods Monster. If you want to learn more about this stranger in the woods, check out the show notes. Intro and outro music, as well as musical score, are done by the man the Flatwoods Monster was trying to find, Scott Ethington. Come across more of his work at Bazooka Raccoon on SoundCloud.com. Finally, if you like what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes, or consider donating to our Patreon. Every little bit helps, and more support means I'm more motivated to do the best job I can to bring you more monsters. Thank you for listening, and remember, anyone can be a monster.